Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Dennis Schuller. I'm the moderator of Bundapunkt, Inflection Points for Senior Leaders. And I'm gonna be joined this morning, early in my morning, early in his day over in Europe by Lars Rieger. Lars is the Executive Vice President and Chief Technology Officer for NXP Semiconductors Company. They're based in Eindhoven with major operations in Hamburg and in Austin, Texas. Um, I met uh, Lars uh, several years ago when I was doing a transition assignment with NXP when it was in the middle of buying a company called Freescale, which gave them entry or solidified their position, I should say, into automotive chip technology. So when you think about semiconductors, and I didn't know much about them when I started working in the company, other than I knew you had to wear a bunny suit in, inside the wafer making facilities that lead to semiconductors. Uh, semiconductor technology permeates every aspect of our life. Um, I just didn't know, and like you probably don't either, but if you're in a car and it's self-drive and you use the parking assist, chances are you're gonna be having a, a semiconductor chip manufactured by NXP. The radar surround sound in your car, the acoustic sound, uh, moving from economy to sport mode is all uh, done by uh, semiconductor technology. If you have a security in your system or a cur curtain or lighting uh, uh, automatic control um, or anything that's related to um, you know, smart home, uh, NXP is the center of that. And then finally, with your phone, whether it's an iPhone or an Android, the chip technology in that is powered in large part by NXP. So a pretty, pretty impactful uh, company in our daily life. And I wanted to bring that alive by virtue of uh, having Lars talk to us about what he does and just as importantly, uh, how he does it and what attracted him to the technology in the field to begin with. So by way of introduction, uh, Lars just joined as a head of automotive, automotive strategy in 2008 at NXP. And then he had previously worked at Siemens Semiconductor, which is a large well-known company noted for uh, developing great uh, electrical engineers and engineering, engineering in total. Um, in 2012, Lars was appointed CTO of automotive at NXP. And that's really where the, the nexus of the business is. That's their big business. They are a leader in the chip technology that supports automotive. And in 2018, I'm really happy to report he was appointed NXP's chief technology officer over all their business in a, in a recognition of uh, the impact that Lars has had in the company. It was very nice to see. Um, he's a member of the board for the Committee of Digital Economy, Telecommunications and Media in the German Industry Association. He's a director of the ITS World Congress, and he's a member of the Forbes Technology Council. Um, you'll find that this guy has energy to burn. He stays active through his passion for sports and interests he shares with his wife and three kids. Outside of working, he'll often be fond of the water, either sailing, windsurfing, jet skiing, or swimming. And on land, I can attest to this, he enjoys running and I can attest to this, uh, snow skiing. Um, now, one of the things I wanted to do, because I didn't know that much about semiconductors when I started working with NXP, and I didn't uh, understand fully what impact it had on our lives um, until I started working with them and I visited some of the factories and I see, started to see some of the applications. What I'm gonna try to do is take a um, five to seven minute clip of 2020's Consumer Electronics Show where Lars features the three main business areas and how semiconductor technology and the chips that NXP produces is transforming the lives we, we live. Um, I think that'll give you a, a better appreciation for uh, what he does and what are, what's some of the transformation 
that we should expect uh, in both automotive inside your home and actually with your phone in the future. Um, we thought about 2021, which was a virtual event, but I thought the 2020 is a better depiction of uh, both what NXP does and also the energy that Lars brings to the leadership role as chief technology officer. So enjoy the little clip and then we'll segue to Lars and enjoy a uh, robust discussion with one of the world's uh, best uh, leaders in technology, one of the greatest managers I've been around and a just good all round person. Hello everyone, I'm Lars Rega, I'm the CTO of NXP Semiconductors and I'm at our booth here in Las Vegas at the Consumer Electronics Show 2020. And what I would like to do today is to show you what we have lined up here for our guests uh, with the theme, a world that anticipates and automates. We are the company that can enable most of the smart connected devices that you will see in the next five to 10 years out there in the market. And how we are gonna do this? This is what I'm gonna show you briefly here in a walkthrough over the booth. So if you look into my jacket here, what I'm wearing uh, in my, in my uh, jacket pocket is an ultra wideband tracker. And ultra wideband is one of our newest, hottest technologies for very smart and accurate positioning. So you can do asset tracking, my jacket can be tracked, and a lot of our demos are reacting to this beacon in my jacket. For example, this globe here behind me that is showing what NXP can do to the smarter world. It will be a globe that is traveling also our sites throughout the year. And if I move closer to this globe, you will see these bluish cubes changing color. Just as I'm walking over here, you will see suddenly the cubes are lighting up in a red way. Uh, this is, of course, what you can also see in your house uh, with your infrastructure, with your car reacting uh, to you approaching, opening up the doors, switching on the light and so on. We have our booth, if you're looking this way, lined up in a way. We have three iconic demos over here covering our main verticals. So automotive in the middle, industrial and smart home, mobile and IoT to my right side. So follow me quickly on and then after this discussion of the um, uh, eye-catcher demos, I will show you all the technical detailed demos uh, in the second section of this, um, this area here. So we have here a transparent car where you can see basically all leading edge automotive technology that we have uh, lined up. So to the front here, if you look with me to the front of the car, what you can see is our leading radar solutions, front radar, antenna in package, very tiny radar. And what you see here on the screen is the active radar sensing signals that you can see when I start moving here. So you see the Doppler signals of the radar. Then if you follow me further on, what you can see here is the application processing that we use in a lot of car uh, activities. So the uh, electronic uh, instrument cluster, for example, um, you will see a blue box for autonomous driving and ADAS. You will see the data pumping and data switching devices here, our Ethernet switches, for example. You will see secure elements in the vehicle. Here, center stage, you will see our battery management systems. Really, really hot, highly precise, highly accurate and highly functional safe electronics that is making sure that your batteries are never overcharged and optimally managed. We have the general purpose controllers, of course, for all body electronics uh, and autonomy functions. And to the rear side of the car here, you see V2X electronics, where we are very successful with Volkswagen and GM in the market already since a couple of years. 
you have the green box for powertrain management uh, and of course the surround view and surround detection capabilities uh, uh, with, with radar and um, uh, vision. Plus what you see here, this big PCB down here in the car is our most advanced, most intelligent amplifier system for infotainment. So this big unit here is driving premium sound. For example, you can see it here in a demo with our partner Harman. Harman is using uh, for uh, the top-notch uh, audio systems, uh, our amplifiers in the best surround uh, sound systems in vehicles worldwide. So looking with me over there to the industrial segment, what you can see here now is you'll see basically all the product portfolio that we have as NXP to build these type of industrial robots. Everything that you need in precision analog electronics, everything that you need in uh, powertrain, so motion parts for the, for the power electronics, everything that you need in sensor electronics, and last but not least, but very, very important, the secure connections to the cloud as well. So in other words, what we are using is we are using the chips of the German Passport give them an I2C interface so that robots can connect to these chips and let these robots run around with their own little passport. So this robot is connecting to the cloud in the same way like Lars is at the United uh, Airlines gate connecting uh, to, the, to the gate with my passport. Uh, this robot is talking to the cloud in this uh, safe and secure way as well. So having this, uh, of course, similar electronics uh, are needed for the smart home as well. And if you just follow me over there to the smart home demonstrator, Excuse me for a second. So what you can see here also on the, on the smart home demonstrator basically is all the ingredients that you need to manage the home of the future. So it is reliable and secure privacy in your house. It is personalized, seamless experience. You don't want to have barriers in your house. You want to have your doors uh, uh, opening up uh, like Sesame open up, of course, via the ultra wideband beacons that I have in my pocket. And of course, what you want to have in your house is you want to have your house as environmental friendly as possible. So you want to have as green uh, carbon neutral electronics as possible. So energy saving is of course of the essence. Lars Rieger, hey, thanks for uh, making time for today. This is Vendapunk, inflection uh, points for senior leaders. I'm joined today by Lars Rieger. He's the chief technology officer for NXP Semiconductor. And we're going to take a trip through technology, life, civilization as we know it, life as we might visualize it in the future. And Lars is at the epicenter of a lot of cool nifty technology that will affect your automobiles, how you interact with technology, internet of things, how your phone works. Um, so this is one of the smartest people I've had, had the pleasure to work with in Lars and I uh, really do appreciate you making time in your very, very busy, busy schedule, Lars. And it's big, uh, big thanks and uh, yeah, looking very much forward to the discussion. So uh, I was wondering maybe where we could start is, because um, people are probably aren't that familiar with NXP as a business. Could you just give an overview, a simple overview of the, of the organization and the businesses that you run? And then we'll jump a little bit more deeply into your role as CTO. Uh, yeah, I appreciate it. Um, so NXP uh, was, uh, until 2006, known as Philips Semiconductors. So that was the semiconductor branch of the Philips uh, uh, big corporation. Um, and uh, like a lot of semiconductor uh, daughters of big companies, uh, uh, Philips also decided to spin out uh, uh, its semiconductor uh, uh, branch. And uh, yeah, we became NXP. 
uh, at the same time, uh, Motorola said goodbye to its semiconductor uh, segment, uh, which became Freescale. Um, and even in, uh, uh, in the later years, um, so this uh, ex-Philips semiconductors married the ex-Motorola semiconductors. So in uh, 2015, uh, NXP and Freescale merged into the new NXP as we know it as of today. Um, the company itself is a, uh, a pretty interesting company because we are providing almost all silicon for, as I would call it, smart connected devices. And that is from battery-free devices, so your contactless banking card, um, uh, your passports, uh, the vast majority of biometric chips in passports is coming from NXP, but your smartwatches, your smart speakers, uh, your smart industrial robots, up to the majority of chips in cars, uh, that all comes from, from uh, NXP. So in other words, whether it's a rolling, uh, a standing or a moving um, uh, smart connected robot, NXP has almost the complete silicon to build these devices. Yeah, and that, uh, that makes us pretty interesting uh, system-wise, yeah, of course, is. in the... Indeed, and I want, I want to uh, kind of double click all through that as we go through this morning, Lars, because uh, the things you're working on, and I get, I get just a smearing of a few years ago when I was working with your company, but the things you're working on, a lot of people um, at, at the executive can lay claim that they're changing and shaping lives maybe maybe but you you are in terms of uh, how we drive how we interact with technology um, it's just amazing so where I wanted to go with you first if I could is um, yeah I'm always inspired by people that uh, do do the work that you do in your early life um, when you drift back um, what were the things that fueled your passion as a young guy that actually got you into engineering and then ultimately so, so the, the, the big yeah <laughs> That's, that's, that's an interesting one. Uh, no, so when, when I was a, a young, young boy, I, I, I wanted to, uh, to do something that, is, uh, that was a very close to forefront technology. So I was dreaming of becoming an, an astronaut. I even did heavy, heavy sports uh, training workouts uh, to be, be fit as an astronaut or as a diver, deep sea diver. I mean, all of these type of things. So uh, I never, never wanted to be an airplane pilot or locomotion uh, driver or whatsoever, but diver and astronaut, that were the, uh, the interesting uh, topics. And um, yeah, dreaming of these yeah, futuristic uh, capabilities of, of technology. I mean, that was, was pretty early on um, um, one of the, of the key topics. Yeah, I started at an age of eight uh, to, to construct my own, on paper, to construct my own submarines and these type of things. <laughs> Fortunately, I never built one. <laughs> <laughs> my, might have been disastrous, but but that had been the the big ideas. And and uh, later, then after my my abitur, so when I when I finished my my high school, the um, the idea was uh, I wanted to build medical equipment. So I started uh, physics uh, studies, but I also started uh, medical. Um, uh, education. I, I stopped that later because it it, it simply timing wise did not did not match. So physics was done way earlier. I would have to 
do a lot of internships later. But I, I try to build my own ECG systems, uh, very basic uh, uh, early on. I uh, did a lot of, of uh, tomograph work, so reconstructed my own skull uh, after after being six uh, six hours in a magnetic uh, uh, resonance tomograph as a as a, as a uh, probation animal. Yeah, so these these type of things that was always uh, always test what's possible uh, in in a playful manner, and that was was and uh, is what's driving me. So you you weren't you didn't uh, take the leap and take your uh, submarine plans out into the harbor of Hamburg then, right? So you're you're still sitting here today breathing. <laughs> no, no, indeed. <laughs> so so fortunately, no 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 damages. Uh, uh, but no of damages. course, uh, here, here here and there, uh, of course, you have uh, you have learning from positive uh, things and <laughs> also and much better from the ones that did not work. Eh? Yeah, good for you. That's that's fun. Um, you know, when you got it, when you, when you're um, now as you're you know roll forward now, you're the CTO of a major company that's um you know affecting the everyday lives of consumers most consumers won't know that but they they experience your technology in both very personal and and broad ways when you think about the role of cto lars um how do you think that's changing in most companies because my, my impression working with you is that you were you were very different than the average cto i've seen that you were fully integrated in the business i mean you understood the business cold and that the application of your technology and the link between what you do and the business drivers was very, very tight. I've worked with CTOs that are real technology junkies, but they really don't ever connect it to the engine of growth for companies and therefore the role gets marginalized. You've actually struck it a quite different way where it's highly integrated to the company and its success. How, how did you do that? And then how do you see it evolving and changing going forward? Uh, yeah, that's a that's maybe the, the big recipe to to change in these companies. I mean, of course, I could could try to dive very deep in very specific or semiconductor technologies, and then uh, uh, know exactly about the uh, the gate oxide of of, of every uh, transistor, so to say. But the the uh, idea, of course, behind my role was uh, let's see how we can change the world what can we bring to the world and how do i also explain this to our key stakeholders mm -hmm. so it started from there thinking of key stakeholders who are they i classify them in four groups our customers because they bring us revenue our analysts because they bring us valuation the politicians and political ecosystem because either then they accelerate or block me with their legislation and then it's my mom and my dad, because if they are afraid of what I'm doing, they will never buy my products. If they love them, they will immediately spend their money. And of course, fifth stakeholder group is our internal employees, but that is anyhow um, uh, yeah. clear, right? And for these four top stakeholder groups, if you can get them as a technical leader into following you. So you as a technical leader convince them that what you are doing is great then you have suddenly a big technical followership community and this technical leadership, technical followership setup. That is maybe what drives my CTO role. And of course, I need to have our technical community internally following me, but ideally I have also 9,000 engineers that are 9,000 multipliers to the outside world and tell the world what NXP can do in the change. And that nicely fits with the current NXP portfolio to the outside world, because what you know is we are coming over the last 10 years out of a world that uh, 
uh, yeah, that is, that is uh, the on-demand world. You press on your mobile phone and say, I want to have a cab now, or I want to have a pizza, or I want to order something online here and now you press the button. The next decade will for sure be the world that anticipates and automates. So in other words, your digital assistants, and there will be 50 to 100 billion of those by the end of this decade, around you, these digital assistants are taking over responsibilities from you and they try to anticipate what you want to do next. I'm coming home, switch on my heating of the house. I'm uh, having, having an appointment with friends over the weekend, uh, dear fridge, uh, order, order some beverages and so on. So these type of things are having a super heavy impact to the end customers and to the society. And anticipating that and trying to fold it back into what is realistic, what is overhyped, and what is uh, just solid in terms of technology. That is maybe the role of uh, yeah, how I try to interpret the role of a CTO and how I think modern CTOs should act. Yeah, that's, that, that sounds right on. Uh, let me ask you uh, <clears throat> a corollary question of that. I've been, again, I've been around CTOs that they liken the role as playing checkers. Um, and others liken it as they're playing chess. And what I mean by chess is they see the whole board. And right. board meaning consumers, customers, society in general, to your point, uh, political bodies that may or get in the way or, or not. Um, <clears throat> some some CTOs take the position, I'll develop the technology and the business will catch up to it. Others will come at it from, which I think is where you come from, is I got to understand what the consumer need is and then develop the technology that satisfies that. Could you expound on that a little bit, Lars? Yeah, so uh, very honestly, I mean, if you don't understand how you can remove barriers for the people or how, uh, how I can remove obstacles that are normally in your daily way, how at all can I be successful with a company? So in other words, if I solve your problems, you give me your money, I get revenue and you get a problem solved. That is how, how it works in the economy since invent, uh, invention of the wheel, right? Uh, I mean, uh, that is, I mean, nothing new. This is uh, a market, market economics. Now, if I understand what is the next problem that I should solve for you, and if I can translate this back and connect it to, hey, this is what my technology today can do, and this is what Dennis's problems are today and in future. Yeah, then I very clearly have a pretty solid roadmap, whether it's realistic or not, but at least I can, I can sketch it and say, if I were able to walk this way here, I would be successful in the market because I always solve meaningful problems for society. And this barrier removal, I mean, this is what I was describing prior, right? You come out of your building, you press a button on your phone, your transportation comes, or even better, Next level is the door opens seamlessly via ultra wideband to nail it to our technologies. Seamlessly, only for you, the others cannot move. And while you are leaving, the connection to your smartphone and to your schedule already says, Lars now needs a cab. Please bring one. And I don't need to do anything anymore. My house is climatized before I know that I'm that I'm arriving, and so on and so on. So this is what I what I mean when I talk about barrier removal. Seeing this bigger picture, making life for you more hustle-free. For that, I need to be able to put myself into your shoes, and that is that is also part of a 
transformational thing. I mean, when, when, when I talk to a journalist about AI and machine learning, normally the first question is, when is your car more intelligent than you are? When has it more emotions? And when are your kids driving to the kindergarten without you? And this is a market that is still 10 years at least out or much further. But today we are already earning billions of dollars as an industry in AI and machine learning. But this is very, very different systems. This is better detection systems. So in other words, I can give you an X-ray picture or to an AI machine learning uh, system, and that can do cancer screening and help the radiologist where to look. Your front door camera can detect whether there's a tree moving in the wind or whether there's a person standing or whether there's a person in a black hoodie standing where you better should get an alarm onto your mobile phone, but please don't send me 600 pictures of a moving tree. Mm -hmm. So better detection systems is where reality is as, uh, as of today. Systems that are more intelligent than humans, this is the far out future. And my job also is trying to understand this, mm -hmm. trying to become realistic, demystify it, and explain also to our customers and our suppliers what I need to, to have the next great innovation in the market that helps the end customers. So this, this demystification, storytelling, and, and playing with the, with the outside world, that is, I think, one of the, the key topics where I would clearly say I'm on that side trying to get the full picture, but I'm a good chess player, <laughs> question mark. But, but uh, uh, at least having enough imagination uh, to, to play with these, uh, these type of thoughts. Yeah, and I want to get in later on in terms of demystifying a lot of uh, how technology impacts and what it might look like in the future. I'd love for you to tell me a few examples. But before we go there, uh, just to take uh, the consumer a little bit further, how do you visualize? So I've always been fascinated by guys like you about being able to visualize the future because most people can't articulate. Like no, very few including myself, could articulate or understand that you could have a smart car that would show up. Um, I, I still get amazed when my BMW out there in the garage where I can start it from my key fob. I mean, some basic <laughs> stuff like that, right? But, it's, but you've leapt ahead 5, 10, 15, 20 years. I'm just curious how you do that. Um. Well, uh, honestly, as a, as a kid, uh, uh, yeah, uh, you start dreaming. Uh, and I mean, it's, it's the same technology. Just think of what would be the next coolest thing that you would like to have. So, I mean, uh, just to, 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 to extend a bit on that joke, as kids, we always were dreaming of superpowers in our superheroes. Mm -hmm. Some of these superheroes have X-ray vision, look at Superman, and, and uh, uh, they know exactly telepathic capabilities, look at Yoda, what's, what's uh, outside of your line of sight. How do I translate this to the car of the future? My car of the future can look much better than Lars, the driver, in rain, in fog, and in snow, because my car has X-ray vision. We call it radar. My car knows that there is an ambulance coming around the next building in, into, into the crossroads because my car has car-to-car -car communication. So I know it outside of the line of sight. And if we start playing with that and saying, okay, what would be the next great function that these devices would need to get a bit closer to the superpowers? What else can I do to give Lars, the driver, better capabilities and better senses? I mean, that is so many different concepts where we can start dreaming and playing um, that is that is maybe the the silver bullet 
And my job as a CTO, if I have to describe it on a one line, yeah. I would just say, I have to invite people to play with NXP. We have 26,000 customers. I have no chance to oversee and definitely not in detail what these guys all are doing. But if I can invite them as a technical partner, a trusty, uh, a trustworthy partner, share with me your ideas and help me jointly playing with NXP and our capabilities. I mean, then, uh, then uh, yeah, after that, swarm intelligence kicks in, I hope. Yeah, and then, fascinating. Uh, let me, let me uh, jump into that with you in terms of um, maybe by industry, how life might change. Uh, take the automobile industry. Everybody has a car today. They drive here and there and everywhere. We had a, we had a Stanford professor. I'm sure you're aware of this guy called Tony Seba from Stanford. Yeah. And um, he, he's been in to talk to us twice now, our management team. And he, he starts his lecture with, is in the 20s near the Flatiron Building in New York. And, um, you know, he, he asked, you know, the first slide is in a sea and horse of buggies, pick up yeah. the one car. And then it's exactly. literally 12 to 18 months later, it's flipped. Pick out the horse and buggy in a sea of cars. That's how quickly transformation happened in the auto industry from quote horsepower to four wheel mechanics. He's, he, he was telling us any company has motor in their title, you know, Ford Motor, General Motors, what, that thinks about combustible engine as their motor will be gone as the chip costs come down and the access um, to that uh, and the integration that te technology occurs. I don't know if that's true or not, but it certainly does um, open up the, the specter of some massive changes coming through EV and um, the technologies that you're, you're producing. So if you take the listeners through, you know, they have a car today. What's the car tomorrow look like, Lars? And what functionality does it have? <laughs> well, maybe, maybe one, one little precursor to yes. that. I think it does not help if we are always super extremist in our thinking. If you are a mega citizen, uh, me mega city uh, 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 citizen, you are, you are thinking of uh, a, finding a parking space for my car is a total drama. I don't want to yeah. have that. I want to have shared transportation. I want to press on my mobile phone or the transportation picks me up uh, ahead of uh, uh, time. And, and it moves me from A to B. Mm -hmm. I'm living here in the countryside. I have zero problem to parking 10 cars in front of my house. But I don't want to tolerate half an hour waiting time for any cab to show up in front of my driveway. So in other words, what I believe is we will see a vast mix of different types of transportation and we should not be always super black and white in, in that. So will the combustion engine cars be extinct? No, but they might have certain uh, value propositions for longer distance uh, driving uh, with maybe more efficient uh, uh, engines, maybe with a pretty different profile. Will we have ride sharing? Of course, we will have in the certain areas. And what is the sweet spot for EVs? Uh, what is uh, maybe just hydrogen uh, uh, driven cars via a hydrogen combustion engine or a fuel cell? I mean, Yes, they will all be there, and we have to, to see how they, how they fit into the ecosystem. Plus, on top of that, might our way or our attitude to transportation change? So maybe the two of us, we are meeting each other once a year uh, to, to, to really network and, and to meet each other, uh, things that are working poorly only via a digital screen. 
but this internal company uh, flights and meetings that I go to Austin or, or the, the, the Austin folks come here to Hamburg uh, just for workshops, maybe that is not happening anymore in future or to a much reduced level. So our life will change, our cars will change, and it will be hybrid and compromise models that are much more adjusted to what you, Dennis, and what I, Lars, really need. And then, of course, the key question is, what is my age? What is my personal mobility? So for me, I love driving on a German motorway, left lane, 250 kilometers an hour, visiting my parents, 500 kilometers of distance. Mm -hmm. For my dad, he's 83 now. For him, it is, okay, mobility gets more limited. Driving for five hours gets a burden. And on a motorway or city driving, that's even getting dangerous. So my dad now would go for a smaller car, which with, with fantastic highway pilot systems. So you drive the 10 kilometers to your highway, press a button and say, take me to Hamburg. And when he is at the highway exit in Hamburg, the car tells him, hey, now you take over again and drive the 15 kilometers, 10 miles to Lars's house manually again. The 10 miles on each side, he can drive without an issue. The 400 kilometers in between, he doesn't want to drive. And these type of assistance systems, barrier removal, uh, hustle removal for him, this is what will, will uh, go away via our technology because this is where his willingness to pay is. He is not willing to pay for a car without a steering wheel. Why should he? Yeah. yeah. But having having these uh, uh, keep keep your mobility up, having really interesting and super safe and simple assistance in your life assist systems in cars, that is where I think the next 10 years are driving, uh, if you're looking at the industry. Interesting. You know, as, as I'm listening to you, Lars, I'm just reflecting on Seba's talk just for one more uh, example. He thought that cities would be massively transformed where um, <clears throat> car usage, he, he, he sees dropping significantly, individual car ownership. He said it's the most inefficient use of capital there is and ride sharing industry will blossom. It's already emerged, but it'll really blossom. And young millennials, instead of owning a car and having it sit 98% of the time, they, they'd rather just call an Uber or call a fleet and take me from here to there. Uh, he, he theorized as a result that um, a lot of the cities that have a lot of real estate tied up in parking lots, for example, would no longer need that because the, the fleet sharing would get people from here to there and you wouldn't have a need to park your car because you're 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 navigating via a fleet which give rise to you know replanning cities and giving rise to smart cities and smart utilities and smart electrics and all that can you can you talk about that a bit or is that too far out there no Dennis that's um well, that's an interesting thought uh, but even one thought further who needs megacities? The key question that I'm getting from some of the youngsters in my team is last, tell me how that is the megacity. And I was like, what do you mean? I said, look, Lars, I mean, at the moment, a lot of us are moving to the cities because we have to work here. Some of us, uh, uh, cliche yuppies uh, are here because the, you have the, the cool uh, cafeterias, you have the cool theater, uh, uh, you have all of that. But 
very honestly, they said, we would prefer living in the countryside where we can make ends meet, where we have a spacious house, when we want to raise kids and when we want to start a family. And if we want to go to the city, Berlin, Hamburg, New York, or whatever, we can go. So we want to be close enough to the city that an one hour commute maybe takes us to the opera. Okay, nice. But who really needs to live in 50 square meters with two adults, one or two kids uh, uh, in a skyscraper? Yeah. No one. And you see this in the COVID pandemics now that suddenly people try to get out of the cities when they are anyhow um, uh, yes. uh, on, on a very different different uh, value proposition. So from that angle, yes, the cities, the value proposition of a city will change. And also the design of a city, of course, would change. So it will, look at cities like Copenhagen. They are advertising big time that they are so bicycle centric, the bicycle capital of the world. This mm. is the slogans that they are rolling out. They have bicycle motorways, uh, highways, <laughs> no motor, but um, uh, where you have uh, multi-lane uh, uh, bicycleways and so on. And it's just getting a new, um, uh, new feeling of being a, a citizen in these cities. Now, if you have more of that type of transportation, more transportation to get to the opera and less to work, your rush hours might be differently, your space, parking space might be differently. And the better a public transportation gets or an individual shared transportation gets, the more of these transportation barriers you're gonna remove and the easier it is for you to, uh, and, and, and uh, joyful it is to drive into the city. Yeah. So yes, that, that will happen. That will not happen uh, as, as a couple of journalists are riding over a, a fortnight and next year uh, uh, all parking spaces are gone and, and whatsoever. Of course not. But this will be how, how the cities are changing in the next uh, 20, 30, 40 years. Yeah, I'm, I'm listening as you're talking. I'm smiling wryly as I remember I, before we went on air here, I was telling you about I had visited my uh, uh, city for my great, 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 great grandparents had lived and married. And I tried to get to the church where they baptized their kids in Koblenz. Oh, right. Forget it. Yeah. <laughs> the parking spot in Koblenz. Uh, and then you're walking, you know, two or three kilometers to get into the city. So forget it. I'll, I'll just get it. I'll do it. I'll do it somewhere. Oh, no, of course, Copeland has, has the, 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 the nice issue of the real estate being in the Mosul and the Rhine Valley, right? I mean, you don't right. have a lot of space to expand to the outside uh, uh, city areas. Right. So you are stuck and either you are using your space very efficiently or uh, yeah, all good luck here. Right. So on, on, on autos, um, on automobiles that I, I can visualize the impact technology might have. Um, how about other fields uh, that you're working on? Um, again, I, I was I noted that chip technology uh, is is certainly moving into and has been, but it's going to take a next leap in terms of uh, medical imaging, for example. But so can you can, can you take us through um, the application of chip technology to everyday life beyond the automobile, Lars? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, when I'm talking about smart connected devices that we are building, and these smart connected devices are, are uh, of course, uh, equipped with four wheels. Uh, that's the, the story that we always talked about. But these smart connected devices. Well, I have to say, I have to say, Lars, when I met with Kurt, uh, Kurt Sievers is Lars' uh, boss. He's now the CEO of NXP. 
when I interviewed Kurt a few years ago, he said, don't, don't think that cars will have four wheels in the future. He said, they may look like refrigerators with two, which I was kind of astounded by. But you know, I guess there's, a, there's another form function that might be emerging as well. <laughs> but, no, absolutely. I mean, these, these lines are starting to blur by the purpose that the transportation vehicles get. But what I wanted to point to is you have the same design principles for all smart connected devices. You sense your environment. You think of a smart advice. If your own brain is too small, you have to ask someone who, uh, uh, who has the know-how. So connect to the cloud. This is what I mean. And you have to send a smart advice to the arms and legs of your robot. Sense, think, connect, act. Whether it's your intelligent thermostat at home or your self-driving car or your industrial robot. And then what you need to make sure is you, you as an end customer, you want to transfer responsibilities to this device. So trust your device is the mega slogan. Make sure that this device never ever fails and creates a damage and make sure that this device never can be hacked and create a damage. By the way, also not a new trend. Your flattening iron for your shirts had to do the same. Yeah? If you don't trust that, the sh that this thing is not setting your house on fire, you will never buy it. So sense, think, connect, act, safety, and security. If we are world champions for this, you can build almost every smart connected device. And that also holds for insulin pens, that holds for image, detectors for x-ray systems, uh, that holds for hearing aids, that holds for um, drones. Yeah, we have a lot of, of students even working on drones now. Uh, we have uh, the, the um, uh, associations uh, like uh, the, the avionics associations of the different nations uh, looking into our electronics because we work with functional safety electronics. It's good for a pacemaker. The, 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 the setup comes from the cars, of course, that your braking systems never fail, but of course it's equally important for your drones. And will that mean in the last consequence that the air is totally equipped with uh, uh, 10,000 drones over New York and over Hamburg? I doubt, but there might be bigger parcel delivering drones that are delivering in container to every skyscraper where a thousand letters are in or 10,000 letters are in. And you have a hundred of those drones just offloading the, uh, the, 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 the goods transport in the cities. And then from there you dispatch it into your neighborhood. So these type of model changes in the, in the society you will definitely see over the next 20 years. And yes, so your, your, you see already how much health functions your smartwatches yes. can yep. take. Mm -hmm. And um, well, of course, with that, you in principle could trigger, if you can trust the devices, you can trigger, of course, also devices like your pacemaker or your insulin pump uh, or, or uh, adjust your hearing aids if they don't adjust themselves to a noisy or, or a, mm -hmm. um, a silent environment. So that is all the stuff that uh, yeah that our semiconductors are bringing to the party. There. Yeah, in fact, my son, my son's type one diabetic, Lars, and he's got a uh, he's got a device called Dexcom, Dexcom Four, I think it's called, yeah. where he, he doesn't have to prick his finger; he just wears a, a sensor, and through his phone, he can adjust the blood sugar level, um, and it and it, he can anticipate. More importantly, what I eat is going to translate into this value of blood sugar. It calculates that uh, nationally, normally. 
it's a great device. It has a failure rate of one out of three, though, I noticed, because um, he always has two or three backups of the house. But the technology is emerging there, which makes health management so much easier. In, in, indeed, Dennis. And I mean, that is so what, what you have there is, I mean, the, I could spin it further now. You have something that is under your skin. You don't want to have, of course, cables or batteries uh, there. But what you want to have is you want to have uh, what we have for the for the contact banking cards, this, this NFC near field. Um, uh, 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 connections. You can do this also uh, via these NFCs for energy transmission, so charging, like, like mobile phone charging, but uh, uh, with smaller antennas for smaller devices. You could use this wireless charging for, for all sorts of, of uh, uh, other devices. But in principle, what we can think of is in future having these sensing elements under our skin and just touching it from the outside world with the reading equipment my mobile phone, my smartwatch or whatsoever. And you get your medical data out. And with all of that, I mean, how much easier can life become for, stay with the example, a diabetes patient or how, how, higher, uh, how much higher can I, I uh, have the, the, the quality of, of living when my parents uh, are uh, still at home in the nineties. Mm -hmm. So where I cannot, uh, uh, always, always uh, watch what they are doing. But in case they leave the stove on, or, or uh, uh, they fall, or, or there is an incident, that I get uh, immediately informed that the house maybe reacts uh, to them in a in a friendly way, uh, and I don't have to give up my job and, and move uh, uh, back 500 kilometers to care for them 24/7, and they don't have to move to the elderly home, uh, but can stay uh, uh, where they normally uh, live. So this. This is the true quality when I say barrier removal. And this is, of course, what this friendly, tech-friendly world can do for us. We just need to make sure that this technology also cannot be abused. So we are writing papers, guidelines for AI ethics. NXP is writing guidelines how you should design your devices and what are the 10 commandments of AI ethics. And again, this is not because I'm a good corporate citizen, but without having them, one of the four stakeholder groups, customers, analysts, politicians, or society would be afraid of me. And if they cannot trust me, then I will not make business. So that is a, a closed circle. If I'm here responsible, if I can explain what I'm doing, I will have a lot of success in the marketplace with the positive innovation. Uh, can I take that a bit further, Lars? Um, because I think what people don't understand, they naturally fear. Uh, I think that's a human, human condition. And there's a lot of, uh, obviously a lot of concern as technology emerges. Just think about vaccines right now that um, I just did my first jab last week. I get my second one in two weeks. I'd love to get a right. little card that says I've been vaccinated and then I'm, I'm flying. Yeah. And that, you know, the airline would say, hey, you've been vaccinated, cool, come on in. And therefore you don't have to quarantine when you arrive in a country. Okay. All that makes sense to me. On the other hand, people have a problem because it, it, it's an invasion of their privacy. How do you square the whole privacy thing with the application <laughs> yeah. of technology? Because it, it, it doesn't need to be mutually exclusive. It, it ought to be integrative, but I know that's a barrier. Uh, I think about your four constituents group, politics is one of them, or political right. bodies, societies, another. How do you mesh that together in terms of the application <laughs> of your technology with the, those concerns? Very honestly, I mean, I'm 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 trying to uh, um, uh, to um, 
uh, yeah, I'm in that dialogue uh, already. And uh, of course, from a techie side. So I'm not a, a medical doctor. I cannot talk about the, the um, uh, likelihood or constraints of, of, of the vaccines uh, that you're getting. Um, but what I can clearly say is the passports that are out there. So all our uh, biometric chips yes. in passports we very easily can carry that information in a separate chapter of that book. So like your, your nationality information, you're a US citizen, I'm a German. There is a, a separate section where I could say, Dennis is uh, uh, vaccinated and Lars is not. Now, the, the right authorities can read that and the right authorities, so the NHSs of this world can write it. And so I was at my doctor, get my shot. The doctor with a secure app on his mobile phone can write my passport and say, Lars has been vaccinated and I can go travel. Now, would this be a discriminating factor or not? Well, I don't know, but today already when I travel, I have to show my passport and I can easily travel to certain countries just because I'm German and you are US citizen. I have more difficulties in other countries uh, 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 just because I'm German. So there is a certain discrimination or non-discrimination via my passport. And just imagine I'm flying to the US. Well, then I either have a visum or I don't get in, or my visum gets simpler. I call it ESTA. Or my visum, my ESTA gets simpler and I call it global entry. So even there, I have different levels of traveling convenience. What is there the difference compared to a uh, the other setup where they say, uh, Lars, can you please show us your COVID test? And it has to be not older than 24 hours. Or can you show us your vaccination documents? Or can you give me your passport? And I immediately can read that you are vaccinated and that you are protected. I mean, from if you try to abstract this and you hear me doing the storytelling again, yeah. if I just take yeah. a step back saying, what is different in the visum part versus the vaccination document part? It is just a certification that I'm getting and then I freely can move again. Mm -hmm. And what you see is that the economic pressure is so high in a lot of countries in the meantime, yes. that everyone says, give the people these passports and let at least the ones who can move freely again. Who cares about discrimination? I mean, that is of course now a, a discussion that the politicians, the society have to do. Yeah. I can only say, technically, I can prepare you all the Lego blocks to build whatever system you would like. And I have done it for traveling passports. You can use the same infrastructure and ecosystem and readers. No one needs to buy new devices or new passports. You can immediately roll it out. Yeah, that is my job as a TV. Yeah, I, I love that. Because that's in my little simple brain, that's, could I, that's what I thought as well, which is uh, you've already got uh, a chip in your card, in your passport. I've got British and American, so I use the U.S. as I depart the U.S. When I get to Europe, I use the Brit. Yeah. And it's seamless and it works um, used most of the time. London can be a challenge because sometimes the card readers aren't that, aren't that uh, clear. But I thought it was just a matter of just slipping in additional data like vaccination date number one, vaccination date number two. Yeah. And if people have a problem with that, then fine, don't travel. Or 
go yeah, or, or you need paper line. forms and you need your yeah. tests or, or, or god knows what i mean it, it just gets more complicated and right. then it's very honestly i mean we have mobile payment on all of these devices here yes. on the mobile phones and on the smartwatches again it's the same chip that is in the passports so if you like you can carry that in a very convenient way your wallet your vaccination documents your passport and via ultra wideband your key ring all stuffed into your piece of private electronics mm -hmm. and life gets completely barrier free. You want to unlock your front door, your car, ultra wideband in your smartphone. You want to pay, take your smartphone, your, your mobile payment. You need health information or visum information, uh, call it as you like. Okay, you have it all on your private piece of electronics. Um, that is how life in future will get much, much simpler. And the funny thing is just to, to in, in, uh, bring, bring one, one thought to your brain is I've taken now your keyring out of your pocket and have integrated it into the mobile phone via ultra wideband. So you approach your car, the car says, hi, Dennis, and the car only opens up when Dennis is close enough and touches the door handle. Now, I've not only taken your keyring and stuffed it into the mobile phone, but your mobile phone is a nice sensor hub that detects all the steps that you're making or how you are walking. With that, the mobile phone can detect your walking pattern. And your walking pattern is like your foot uh, fingerprint. It is, mine is very different from yours. So in other words, in the past, I could invite you to a Hamburg pub, we drink a couple of beers, and I grab the, uh, the key from you uh, that, that you have on the desk in front of you, move out, uh, take your car and drive away. If I would now take your mobile phone, start approaching your car, the car says, well, Hi, Dennis, I guess it's you because your key is close to the car. But you know what? Honestly, today you are walking very differently. Can you please authenticate yourself via face recognition or PIN number? Or if it is you and you're walking so str uh, strangely, can you please do an alcohol test? Because either you're completely hammered and should not drive anyhow, or uh, it's not you and, 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 and you are cheating. So what I have done by up integrating here is I have added another dimension of security on top without you even recognizing you as an end customer. And no one wants to get back to a metal piece uh, that, that locks or unlocks a car that everyone can, can easily uh, fake and, and rebuild. Your health data, as soon as you have it in that way, and if you can build it in such a secure way, it's much better than the, the, the paper uh, 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 folios that, that doctors store in the cellar somewhere. I mean, how secure is that compared to what you could create in these secure databases where just your name gets detached from the file and only via a crypto operation, you can link the two with each other. So if you do this in a clever way, look into the manual how to design privacy by design or ethics by design or safety by design. And this is what NXP is, is bringing forward. If you can do this, then the world becomes a much easier, much better place. Fascinating. Hey, uh, I wanted to ask you a couple of questions if I could um, before the hour closes on us. Uh, this is fascinating. Uh, what's, what's, the what's the most interesting thing you've worked on in your career that you when you look back and you go, God, that was a lot of fun. We made a huge impact and I'd love to do that again. 
very honestly i mean there's there's a mix of of, of interesting topics uh, so that is always very much in the in the medical area one of the things that really really uh, uh, made me proud was working on telematics for vehicles so these emergency call functionality uh, just imagine you have a car accident and without you uh, doing anything the car automatically calls the ambulance and tells where the car is. Uh, so your airbags uh, are deployed and the car calls the 911. And via the direct positioning tells the ambulance where to go. And if you are still able to, to talk, uh, okay, hey, I'm Dennis, yeah, no, sorry, I just hit the SOS button by accident, fine. Or, hey, I'm stuck here in my car with three or four uh, people. That's good. But other than that, the system is just transporting how many restraint systems are locked. Was it only the driver restraint system or four or five others in that car? What type of a car is it? Seven seater? Okay, then maybe send two ambulances. And in these type of systems working there and having a true impact, visible impact uh, uh, of, of, of saving people's life. The other things is what we are doing just at the moment, this convergence of the different markets. They say, hey guys, this is, this is huge impact if we just can, can make your, your uh, access to anything easier if we can move into a world that anticipates and automates. But that is, of course, equally exciting and it has a huge impact. And Lars, uh, I guess the last question for you, I, I could talk forever uh, with you because you're, you're always so <laughs> super smart and working on things that are so cool. Um, if I'm a young engineer and I'm listening to this, what should I take away from this talk relative to my profession where I should maybe hope to take my career? Well, the, the, fir the first learning is the things in my life that never worked were the things that I tried to plan. So mm -hmm. don't over plan. Right. But, but that also does not mean that I'm, that I'm totally uh, on, a, on, a, on a random walk or, or uh, on a chaotic move. For me, a key driver is doing something that impacts for society. And whether I'm building medical devices my early dreams, or whether I'm now in these uh, uh, smart connected devices changing the world um, uh, and, and, and trying to drive uh, the same, uh, same goal forward. Um, try to understand what makes you tick and try to work this into your, your, your uh, daily life. I mean, there's this famous saying, uh, 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 do what you love, but even more important, love what you do. This is not an an uh, opportunity that comes to you, it's your attitude. You have to make this fun, what you're doing, regardless of whether you are producing marmalade buckets or, uh, or smart speakers. I mean, that it's your attitude. And, and if you embrace this, it's an, it's an infinite source of energy. The other way around, it's just a burdening job. Yeah. Well, I, I would say you're an energy, uh, energy giver, my friend. Uh, Every time I'm around you, I get energized by what you're working on, how you come at it. Um, you're just uh, you're just a fantastic leader, Lars. Really appreciate the time today. That is big, big thanks, and uh, thanks for the for the fantastic talk. Yeah, say hello to Kurt for me. I hope that someday I get to come through Hamburg again, see your new building. I, I bet you that's up out of the ground and all all done, right? Yes, absolutely. It looks fantastic. And, and uh, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll give your regards to Kurt. And then when you're in Hamburg, I mean, of course, you're invited uh, to visit us. There. All right. Very good. All right. Thank you. Have a good afternoon. Thanks. Same to you. Bye-bye. Cheers. Bye-bye.